Hello everyone and welcome to another mission of Catching Up with Health, where we report the newest findings and headlines about health. In this episode, we talk about teenagers and their health when related to sports. This article was taken from Medical News Today. When young people take up sports and physical activities that helps them to develop confidence, to lead more satisfying lives, and to reduce their risk, for developing chronic illness like diabetes, obesity, cancer, and cardiovascular diseases. But unfortunately, if they don't take appropriate measures, they can instead end up in pain due to avoidable sport injury. This is what this article talks about. Uh, the article looks at some of the most common injuries in your athletes Um, it also introduces some ideas about how they could avoid or minimize the damage of those injuries. And it finishes with a list of tips for preventing sport injury in children and teenagers. According to the National Institute of Arthritis and Musculoskeletal and Skin Diseases, the most common sport injuries are due to accidents, poor training practices, or using the ground gear or equipment. People can also hurt themselves because they are not in shape or because they don't um, warm up or stretch enough. Some experts in the US said that they are seeing more and more young athletes injured because of overuse and because they do weigh too much. The most common sport injuries are knee injuries, sprains and strains, swollen muscles, Achilles tendon injuries, and fractures and dislocations. Let's see the example of knee injury. There is one type of knee injury that is the damage to the anterior cruciate ligament. This is a severe injury that occurs most often in athletes who play football and other contact sports. 20 years ago, it was not very common for doctors to see um, children or teenagers with ACL injuries. Today, however, those injuries are pretty common because youngsters are taking up sports earlier and they are pushing themselves more competitively. Another reason for the rise in young people with ACL injury is that more and more of them are specializing in just one sport and that puts, puts them at risk of injuries that are usually or normally only seen in professional athletes. The problem with this type of knee injury is that it is not easy to repair in growing bodies. For example, the reconstructive surgery for ACL works pretty well in adults, but it can potentially cause deformities in growing bodies. To finish, I'm going to give some tips that um, the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends to prevent injury. The first one is the time off. That means take at least one day of a week to give your body time to recover. The second one is take breaks. 
during practice sessions and during games. Third one is to use the correct gear. This should be right for the sport and it should fit properly. That includes pads for necks, shoulders, elbows, chest, knees and shins, as well as helmets, mouthpieces, face wards, protective caps and anything else that could be necessary for certain sport. The fourth one is to drink plenty of fluids. This should be done before, during and after exercise or play. The fifth is to build muscle strength. This one is very simple. Do your conditioning exercise. Sixth is to increase flexibility. That can be done by stretching before and after games and practice. They also advise um, coaches and parents to consider the emotional stress that the pressure to win can cause for a young athlete and they recommend to adopt these principles. Young athletes should be judged on effort, sportsmanship and hard work. They should be rewarded for trying hard and for improving their skills rather than punished or criticized for losing a game or competition. The main goal should be to have fun and learn lifelong physical activity skills. ACL injuries in adolescents and children. It has frequently been emphasized that children are not simply small adults. They are different anatomically and physiologically in many ways. Knee injuries in children and adolescents frequently demonstrate these differences. The primary difference between the adult knee and the child's knee is the growth of center of epiphysis. These are regions in the end of the femur and tibia on both sides of the knee that provide most of the growth of the leg. They are usually the weakest part of the knee. The same injury pattern that would tear a ligament or cartilage in the mature knee is much more likely to fracture the bones through the growth center in the child. Adult type of the knee injuries can occur in the child. Anterior cruciate ligament tears, once thought to be extremely rare in children, are receiving more attention in recent years. It is unknown whether or not the rise in the number of reported tears recently are related to increased awareness by the physicians, better diagnostic techniques such as MRI and arthroscopy, or that possibly more kids are involved in competitive sports. ACL tears have been reported in children as young as two years of age. The true incidence of ACL tears in the pediatric population is unknown, but some studies report a tear in as many as 50% of the children with blood in their knees after an injury. The treatment of ACL tears in the young, athletic, skeletally mature knee is usually reconstruction. A tendon is usually taken from another part of the body and used to rebuild the torn ligament. Simple repair of the torn ends usually fails. Non-operative treatment with braces and exercise usually fails. 
These patients frequently have given away episodes with cheering of other structures, usually mensical cartilage. This may lead to premature arthritis later in life. This reconstructive procedure usually involves placing the tendon graft through drill holes in the femur and tibia. Unfortunately, the growth centers in the knee are directly in the path of these drill holes, screws and staples. It has been shown that standard reconstruction in the growing child or adolescent may cause a growth abnormality leading to leg length inequality or to angulatory deformity at the knee. The younger the child, the greater the chance of deformity, and the more severe the deformity is likely to be. As a result, non-operative treatment is usually suggested initially. This usually involves bracing and strengthening exercises. The results are generally poor. A temporary change in activity level or sport may also be indicated. Sports that involve sharp cutting and sudden change of direction, such as basketball and soccer, may have to be put on hold until the injured knee can be properly repaired. There is a high incidence of instability, meniscal tears, and a significant change in activity level. If conservative management fails, surgical options can be considered. The patient and family must be aware of the complications said before. If the adolescent is within a year or two of skeletal maturity, most physicians feel the risks are small, and the standard ACL reconstruction is usually performed. In the younger child, alternative techniques have been developed recently to try to lessen the possibilities of growth arrest. These techniques involve placing the graft in a known anatomic position or one that does not quite duplicate normal ligament function. This is done by either drilling holes that go around rather than through the growth centers or by avoiding holes altogether and wrapping the graft around the bone. Growth abnormalities can still occur but the incidence is much less than with standard techniques. These procedures are designed to be a temporary measure to control symptoms until maturity, when a traditional reconstruction can be done. The results of these procedures have been surprisingly good, with many children returning to sports and not needing a later procedure. In summary, the anterior cruciate ligament can be torn in growing children. The incidence is higher than previously believed. Choosing the best treatment is much more difficult than the adult. While growth abnormalities can be serious after surgical repair, their incidence is fairly low. With newer surgical techniques, good results are possible. Now I'm going to ask you, are you prepared for your sport? 50% of injuries sustained by younger athletes playing organized sports can be avoided if the athlete was properly conditioned to play her game. As competitive level increase in younger age groups, it is the responsibility of parents and coaches 
to be the knowledgeable in proper conditioning programs and to know when to rest athletes to prevent unnecessary and avoidable injuries. Coaches, athletes and parents must remember that being physically fit for one sport or position does not necessarily mean an athlete is adequately prepared for another. Ideally, male and female high school athletes should participate in a year-round conditioning program that varies in frequency and intensity. Today's high school athletes are on average less active outside in their sports regular seasons and are less prepared for vigorous participation in their sport. So what are the training seasons? To become better prepared, athletes should know there are four training seasons for a high school sport. The first is the post-season, which is from one to three months following the regular season. Athletes should take this time away from the sport to rest and recuperate both mentally and physically. It is very important to take this time off so the body can heal itself and so the athlete can avoid burnout. The next season is the off season, which lasts from four to six months after the post season. This is where intensive conditioning takes place from three to five times a week, focusing on improving strength, flexibility and endurance. Many experts believe flexibility and strength training enhances physical performance and reduces the risk of injury. The third season is the preseason, which begins from one to two months prior to the start of the season. Workouts should now shift to assure the athlete will pick out at the start of the season. Properly conditioned athletes will be ready to enter the regular season and have a lower risk of injury. For younger children, preseason conditioning is the most important. This age should not be made to participate in structured year-round conditioning programs like older athletes. Instead, they should be encouraged to stay active when not in in-season and have fun being a kid. Many children at younger age are being expected to train harder and longer in order to excel in sports. Proper precision conditioning will not only help the young athlete excel by improving his athletic abilities, but will also help decrease his risk of injury by easing him back into the sport. The goal of precision conditioning is to improve athletic performance and prevent injury. The American College of Sport Medicine suggests that precision conditioning begins six weeks prior to the start of the regular season and should have a frequency of three to five times a week. Proper precision conditioning should focus on two general components. The first consists of enhancing strength flexibility and endurance, and the second is to improve natural sport-specific movements and agility. 
pre-season exercising should begin with more emphasis on stretching while the athlete attempts to get into playing condition. This will help improve flexibility and decrease the risk of injury, including sprains, strains, and tendonitis. Lastly, there is the regular season. It is recommended to continue to train from four to six days a week, anaerobically and aerobically to prevent the conditioning. And for high school athletes to continue lifting weights two times a week to maintain muscular strength. Hello everyone, this is Juan Jose. And the next and final article is Abuse of Drugs to Unchase Sports Performance, Winning at Any Cost. Increasingly, our society views winning as something more important than the game itself. Success in competition bring status, popularity and fame, not to mention college scholarships. Today's athletes are looking for an advantage over the competition that will help make them winners. Performance in chasing drugs can be regarded in four classes. Androstenedone, creatine, anabolic steroids, and epedra alkaloids. These drugs are available over the counter except for the anabolic steroid class. Since 1994, the FDA no longer controls these nutritional supplements. As a result, there is no control over their purity, efficacy, or distribution. In fact, most of the substances market themselves to the public as safe and natural. The DHEA and 19 nortesterone are pro-hormones that convert in the liver to testosterone and come in pill form. It is uncertain the amount of adolescent usage of these drugs, but most studies are quoting in the range of 2.5 or 5% adolescent usage. Initial studies indicate that these drugs did not raise serum testosterone levels. But newer studies are noting that they do in fact produce that effect if the drug is taken in higher doses. Adverse effects include the reversible and premature closure of glow plates, acne, hair loss, testicular atrophy, and changes in personality, including aggressive behaviors. These behaviors can include steroid rage or roid rage, an inappropriate intense anger response. Besides the abuse of this class of drugs, there is no reason to believe that addiction is not a possibility with certain types of amounts of dosages. From a legal perspective, All of these drugs in this class are readily available in nutritional supplement stores. Adolescent athletes have no trouble to attaining these drugs. However, several governing bodies in the world of sport have banned their usage. This includes the 
IOC International Olympic Committee or the NCAA or the NFL. Creatine, a protein, is a very popular nutritional supplement sold as fine white powder. It is important not to confuse this chemical with creatinine. This protein is synthesized in the liver at rate of 1 or 2 grams per day. Creatine is also found in red meats and in some fish. Most individuals need about 2 grams per day. In our skeletal muscle, creatine plays an important role in the production of ATP. The goal of this nutritional supplement is to provide the muscles with large stores of creatine for maximal exertion. By far, creatine is the most commonly used nutritional supplement among high school athletes, with usage around 10% of adolescent athletes. Most athletes believe it increases their performance and decreases soreness after strenuous workouts. For the end, the adverse effects of the creatine include weight gain and secondary to water retention. Increased cases of muscle tears upon maximal exertion have also been noted. The most concerning adverse effect is renal because creatine is a protein that is known to raise serum levels of creatinine. The long-term effects of this response have not been studied in detail, but there certainly it is possible of renal dysfunction. At a minimum, the athlete on this supplement needs to be well irritated. This was all for today's podcast. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for staying with us. Tune in again on April 24th for more health news. Thank you.